Welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast. I am super excited about bringing you yet another guest uh, on a topic I have been dying to delve into um, since the Oscars and something else has occurred since then for me to jump on top of this. And I'm, I'm calling this podcast the battle of the sexes, but I, I don't know that it's really necessarily about a battle as much as getting into what has been a, a topic between men and women with equal pay rights, equal work rights, workforce, um, you know, equality. And this really goes back to what Patricia Arquette said in her Oscar speech. To every woman who gave birth, to every taxpayer and citizen of this nation, we have fought for everybody else's equal rights. It's our time to have wage equality once and for all and equal rights for women in the United States of America. And Patricia Arquette, you know, really expanded upon it and, and getting into different topics in the social media blitz that followed where people started saying, well, it's easy for you to say that coming from a place of privilege. And she said, hey, listen, I wasn't always in a place of privilege. At 20 years old, I was a single mom going through it. And the thing that triggered me off to really get into this podcast was on Thursday, March 5th, Ronda Rousey, who is the MMA women's champion, uh, made a statement, and her statement was that basically she could beat 100% of the men in the bantamweight division, which is basically her weight class in the MMA. And there was a huge response uh, by MMA fighters and just people in general saying, listen, I, I think Ronda's getting a little crazy here. And the person I asked to join me on this podcast uh, is – a friend of mine from uh, Florida, she's a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. And who better to discuss a battle of the sexes than a clinical sexologist, Day Sheridan. Day, thank you for joining me. Of course, hey. <laughs> now, Day, um, just so people have an idea of your background and, and how long you've been doing this, um, you know, let people know exactly how long you've been working as a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist and what you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I've been in practice for almost 18 years, and I'm also a professor of human sexuality at the University of South Florida. And my specialization is marriage and sex therapy. But I'm a general practice psychotherapist, so I deal with all sorts of conflict issues, communication, depression, anxiety, helping people get along. Okay, and that's what this is about. This is about helping the sexes get along, especially in the workforce. Um, let's start with let's start with what Patricia Arquette said with regards to equal pay. I, I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. If we're talking about people that are similar similarly situated in a job, for example, male attorney, female attorney, same amount of experience. To me, there should be equal pay there, no question about it. Am I off base in any way on that? I don't think so. I don't know many people who would uh, who would fight you on that. Okay. Now let's get into an issue where there's a little bit of a, an uneven playing field and, and change the scenario a bit and get into maybe police officer where, you know, we have a male police officer, female police officer. There may be diff different 
physical requirements that maybe because of call it affirmative action hiring to have more diversity on a, a police force you know what we want to have women on the force as well um should that affect pay scale i mean i certainly don't think so because you have men and women who have different physiological makeup different abilities whether it's cognitive abilities whether it's physical abilities um you know it's, i don't think there should be any difference whatsoever if you're doing the same job you're putting your life on the line for the community and i think there should be no question about that either all right but now even in situations where again Maybe there is a difference in terms of being able to perform the job fully. And I'll give you a specific example. When my dad was in the hospital um, over a year ago, um, my dad at that point was you know, weighing in at about 150 pounds. He was on his bed, and he would slide down the bed because you know the way the bed was positioned, and the nurses would have to move him. Um, it would take two female nurses to move him whereas opposed to one male nurse would be able to move him on his own. Considering that requirement, are we, you know, can we look at that and say, well, listen, you know what, part of the job is physical, and if you can't meet all of the requirements, including, and maybe that's the only one they can't meet, should that be something that should be considered? I mean, I don't think so. I think that's more of an HR issue. I think you should be hiring the right people for the right, tasks at hand. And so whether it is uh, a physical agility test to see if you can handle something, I don't think that gender should play into that at all. There's honestly, you know, there's plenty of women who are just as strong or stronger than certain men um, and vice versa. Okay. Now, HR from the front end issue. All right. Now let me take that to another step. Now let's take it to the step of with regards to hiring practices, should we now be taking the next step and, and looking at a profession such as firefighters, which is, from what I have seen, predominantly male? Should we say, you know what, listen, we need more equality in the workforce and we want to have women firefighters. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to give the women, because of the different physical attributes men and women have, We'll give the women a different test so that we can get more women on board. If we're going to do that, one, is that a good thing to do for, say, that specific profession? And two, assuming that there is a different test, do we keep the same pay? Yeah, and this is certainly not my area of expertise, this hiring and all of that and and creating job standards for people. But I know plenty of women firefighters um, who are just as valuable, if not more so, than some of their larger male counterparts because of the ways that they can fit into different circumstances. So then what I would say, wouldn't you pay a woman more because she's going to be able to get into smaller call spaces than some of those big girly guys? You know, this is why I had you on this show. This is exactly why I wanted to have you on this show. All right. Now. Let's get into the more specific area, which is the area that Ronda Rousey kind of jumped in that I, I feel she she's biting off more than she can chew. Um, and again, for those of you that don't know, Ronda Rousey, R-O-U-S-E-Y, is the MMA women's champion. And last week she dismantled her opponent. No one's ever made it out of the first round with her. She was the first woman to ever medal in judo 
for the United States. She took home a bronze medal. There's no question as to Ronda Rousey's prowess as an MMA um, competitor, as a martial artist. Here's my issue, Day, and, and tell me if, if you kind of are on board with this. I think this notion of women competing with men physically on a professional sports level, I am, I'm not sure that that's something that women should be really advocating for. And for the most part, I don't think the women professional athletes really want that. I don't know, you know, with, the, with this particular situation with the MMA fighter, you know, I I don't know where she's coming from. I don't know, you know, like you said, she obliterates her opponents and maybe she's looking for a little bit more competition that she feels will be more adequate and equitable, especially if she's, you know, like you said, annihilating whoever comes in her path. So maybe that would be the next step for her. But in terms of, you know, women competing in mostly male-dominated sports, you know, that's a cultural thing that we've just never allowed for it previously. But now we have all of these women who are coming up showing these skill sets that were never allowed to be highlighted before, and we don't quite know what to do with it. All right. Now, as a psychotherapist, that, that's going to change the culture of the environment in a lot of sports. So, for example, let's take... I'm I'm trying to think of a sport that you know would seem to let's take basketball. Um, basketball, you, you you have women out there that listen could be over six foot tall. Uh, the 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 sport is physically demanding in terms of being able to get up and down the court. It's not as physical as football where there's as much contact. So let's say the NBA says, hey, listen, you know what? We have someone who is just as good as a man can compete. And ultimately, listen, you take somebody like Mark Cuban who owns the Dallas Mavericks. He may say, hey, listen, if she can help us win, I want her on the team. Fine. We put her on the team. We break the sex barrier and say, as long as you're good enough to play, you can play. Now we go into the locker room. Do we now change the culture of the locker room, in your opinion as a psychotherapist, and say, well, you know what? We're going to give her a separate locker room as a woman. And now the male players, when they're in the locker room, need to change the way they're used to and have been raised in acting in that environment and consider the fact there's a woman in there. Right. Well, I think that that's a bigger systemic issue when you're looking at, like, the peer culture climate of sports. You know, do do we look at and say, okay, do we give her her own locker room because of the, the old boys club and the way that men respond to each other in that environment? Or do we look at culture and say, if we had to change what we're doing because there's a woman's presence, then shouldn't we change it in general because it may be sexist or harassing or, you know, using that dominance. You know, before you were asking about, you know, should it be a, a cultural change and, and what should that look like? And I would say, you know, a lot of men you know, don't look at how women are struggling to get into these professions or these fields because they've always been dominant in them. And that's part of, you know, systemic dominance is that you never have to really look at it because it doesn't affect you. Now, now here's here becomes the slippery slope in all of this. So you have a woman such as Ronda Rousey or, or maybe someone who, you know, again, take the basketball example. We have the person who says, hey, listen, you know what? I need a greater challenge. I'm dominating my sport um, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not challenged. I want to go an extra yard here and cross the line. 
the the line that we're crossing into again is a woman coming into what is a men's competitive sport. We we are not going to see it the other way. We're not going to see a guy say, you know what, I can't pre- play pro basketball because I got cut from the team in the NBA, but I'm certainly good enough to play in the WNBA. So you know what, let me hone my skills there a little bit. So you know, it seems to be very one way. So is is that something? that we want to advocate for, in your opinion, as a, as a psychotherapist? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, those are the, the key dynamics of power and privilege. It's like, okay, well, we have these structures that are set up, and women have to fight to try to get into them, whereas we would never look and say, well, a man would fight to get into the WNBA because, well, of course, quote-unquote, women are less than men. Right. Even if those women, you know, could beat the men at any given time because of their skill set and because of their abilities. You know, I think it's a, it's a big deal to look at how, you know, sexual harassment and gender violence issues, you know, the culture that's created has to do with, again, being manly or what it means to be a guy, you know, the definitions of manhood that we have. I, I don't know that sports peer culture is really a great example of what we want to continue with when we look at the Fairville rape case, when we look at Penn State, you know, we're not necessarily building great cultures that are going to help men and women get along better as a, as a society, you know, in, in, in the community. Okay. Let, let's take that to the next level. And once again, just to repeat, if people listening to the podcast, my guest is, um, they Sheridan. Uh, psychotherapist, uh, clinical sexologist, and we're, and we're discussing uh, the gender battle and, and you know women trying to get into um, equal situations, be equally situated, equally treated with men. Let, let's take it out of the sports realm and, and let's go into a different area um, and, and let's make it corporate boardroom. Um, let's, let's, let's get into straight into politics. Um, we're seeing more and more women get into politics again a a profession that was previously dominated by men um you know you look at wearing robes and wigs wigs. uh i I wore the robe i didn't wear the wig um now you know looking at certain corporate environments uh which again you know you you have a, a board of 12 guys good old boys club you a woman now obviously equally qualified joins that environment should there be an expectation and again i understand what you're saying if if men were acting a certain way all these years in that boardroom that and making comments that may have been sexist or 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 making remarks that would otherwise be demeaning in closed quarters now that a woman is in that environment is there somewhat of a give and take between how much the men should tone themselves down and yet, at the same time, should the woman coming into that environment say, hey, listen, you know what? I got to have thick skin and I have to realize I'm in a situation surrounded by 11 guys. Yeah, there's, there's going to be some of that behavior. Well, I think that, you know, she certainly, because socioculturally we're trained to expect that. I think it's always a refreshing, uh, you know, time when that doesn't occur and when women are treated as equal. But if you're talking about a boardroom, again, corporate culture, you know, sexism is going to end at the hands of men, you know, because they're the ones who, again, 
have had that historical privilege and the power to be able to make those decisions. I think a woman needs to go in and to assert herself in the way that she would in any environment. I think we, what happens is, I think, is the troublemaking when we start, when we're little, and we say things like battle, sorry, my son, sorry, we say battle of the sexes, or we say opposite sex. You know, it's amazing because we hit kids against each other in elementary school, girls against the boys, where we would never do that with any other subset of human beings ever. Okay, but, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out here. Ultimately, we don't want to blur these lines too much, though. We, I mean, listen, or do we? As a psychotherapist, I mean... I know what you're saying. I mean, here, this is what I, mean, what I mean by starting really young and saying, like, we are pitting boys and girls against each other. Well, if we're looking at things heteronormatively and assuming that some women are going to get married to some men and vice versa, then, you know, we're starting kids off on, a, on the wrong track. And I can tell you, as a marriage counselor, I see people with really rigid viewpoints of gender stereotypes and expectations of what a man should be or what a woman should be. And I think so much of this, but it's corporate culture or conflicts that people have in their marriages, have to do with those expectations that are built up throughout their, you know, young lives and through their adolescence. Well, listen, I see it visually. I mean, and, and some of the jokes that we see made about maybe the most popular woman politician, Hillary Clinton and the pantsuit. I mean, we, we've seen this sketch done on Saturday Night Live that she comes out in a pantsuit and the pantsuit is somewhat emblematic of a woman in a man's world. And listen, I'll, I'll dress the part and I'll go along with it. And to me, you know, I, and I'm drawing a, an artistic um, call in when I watch House of Cards and I see the Robin Wright character who's dressed very feminine, but yet as assertive, as powerful. Again, do we want to blur the line where, you know what? Yeah, the woman should be in the pantsuit to fit into the man's world. Or can the woman still dress feminine? And say, listen, she's just going to be assertive in her character. Yeah, I think that, that, like, in 2015, that that's the craziness that we're talking about, you know, what a woman is wearing and whether that exudes her femininity or masculinity or where her gender is at. I'm wearing pants right now, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to exert any sort of power over you while I'm doing your podcast. I'm just wearing my pants. I I'm going to tell you right now, I'm wearing a skirt. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, but I think it's what's what's critical is to see how people feel like it's okay to question a woman about what she's wearing and what that means and all of that. No one is asking a senator, you know, why he's dressed the way that he is or how long it took him to do his hair or it's. So I think it's it's just kind of ludicrous that we're still posing this judgment and this objectification of women that we don't even begin to put upon them. Okay. Now let, let's get into some of the objectification issues that we see. And we see, you know, the world's sexiest man alive, along with the world's most attractive women in People magazine. And for as much as we are seeing the size two, size four women, and we're always having that same physical image of what's sexy and attractive for women it works the other way, too. I mean, what we're seeing as attractive on television is, you know, the character Jax 
from Sons of Anarchy with, you know, the goatee and the slicked back hair and, and the pants hanging down, you know, and he's got this sexy biker image. Um, you know, Brad Pitt, no one is showing Oscar winner J.K. Simmons, you know, the older bald guy, and I'm of course I'm gonna wave his flag, um, as this as the sex symbol for men. So I mean it seems to kind of go both ways, no? I mean, I okay, I'll give you that there is you know the objectification of men in one in one uh issue of one magazine once a year. I'll give you that. <laughs> so that's all you're giving me. <laughs> because I think you know, and it's it's interesting because this you know this this showing of you know an ideal body image, whether it's for male or female, it's contributing to depression, anxiety, eating disorders with both sexes. And so, but I really do believe that the expectation for women, the bombardment of messages of what it means to be sexy, and all of that is just I think it's overwhelming in terms of what the media presents to women versus what they present to men. Okay. Now, as someone who is a clinical sexologist and, again, a psychotherapist, and you deal with couples all of the time, um, how much of that is really media-based? Because, I mean, to be quite honest, as, you know, a person who hits comedy clubs and, you know, I do warm-up for, for different shows and I see different couples and I interact with couples all the time in a show – you know, I don't necessarily see, you know, it's it's not always two of the quote unquote beautiful people together. I mean, and there are times where as comedians, we make a joke where we see this gorgeous woman sitting next to a guy that is, you know, marginally OK looking. And the joke is, I guess you're rich. And again, you know, that's taking it from a, a comedy standpoint in a comedy club. But I mean, it, it's it's not always about looks. I hope not. You know, I, I think that hopefully we're we're becoming more highly evolved than that. But what you're seeing in terms of in marriage counseling, how much of the marriage breakdown is contributed to, you know, ultimately the physical breakdown as a woman gets older or as the man gets older. And listen, they don't look like what they did on those wedding pictures. <laughs> you know, the wedding album is a long time ago. I mean, is that coming up? Is that part of the? We see the plastic surgery culture really kicking in right now. How much of that is part of the problem in, in marriages? And I'll be honest with you, the research shows us that when two people have a good connection and they are in a committed love relationship with one another, as they grow old together, they are less likely to see each other's flaws and they're more likely to see each other the way that they did when they were newly in love. It's when there's other conflict and when there's other, whether it's broken trust or unresolved resentment, that people are more likely to pick up on the physical, the things that are unattractive to them. And it's more likely that something is psycho-emotionally unattractive more so than physically. And then that becomes a bigger deal. And it's pointed out, well, I don't hate your personality. I just don't like, you know, that you've gained a couple pounds. Right. So it's it's basically it's not that you're fat, it's that you're mean. And now I'm realizing the the meaner you get, the fatter you look. And and a lot of times it's because of that of that self imposed body image. And if I don't like me, and if I don't like the way that I'm looking, I may be pushing you away. You know, I may be um, not as amorous towards you, or I may not initiate, or because I'm not feeling good about me, and then the other person is feeling rejected. 
Okay. Now, one of the things that I'm seeing on social media, and and there's two parts of this, um, is the empowerment of women through, again, this this appearance issue. And I'm seeing a lot. And Facebook seems to be dominated really by moms between the ages of 30 to 50, from what I can see. And what we're see, <laughs> and what we're seeing from those people is a lot of selfies, a lot of, hey, look, I'm a mom, I'm a cougar, I'm a MILF, I'm whatever I am. And we're we're seeing a lot of that. Am I right or wrong on that? I don't know. You're seeing confident women who are, who are showing you what they're doing with their day? Or are they like, are these bikini shots? What are you referring to? What does your Facebook page look like? You know what? I'm referring to both. I'm referring to the confident women that are taking pictures of them out girls night out and I'm and the bikini pictures as well. You know, the, I listen, I've seen p- people take bikini pictures using their kids as props, basically saying, look how great I look. I'm with the family. Yeah. And by the way, my kids are in a picture. We're, we're seeing a lot of that, or at least I am on social media. And again, it's, is that, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. Or are, are we getting into a culture right now where again, Women are trying to just portray a louder a voice as loud as men, and this seems to be the platform, social media. Well, I hope I hope that that's not the case because that is what's called self self objectification, where you then are being um, as your everything in the media and our culture is coming at you that we start doing it to ourselves, right? Saying that this is where my power lies in how I look versus. My abilities, my gifts and talents, my, you know, my care for other people, my compassion. So, you know, a lot of people are in that where they feel like their power comes from what they look like. Now, if people are just hanging out and taking pictures and putting them up there because they're with their friends, and that's a good time. But if that's where you're getting your source of power and that's where you're getting your your sense of self worth or self esteem, and only there, then that's something to that's something to look at. Again, I'm loving my guest, Dr. Day Sheridan, um, clinical sexologist, psychotherapist. The next question for you, again, plays off of that. A lot of what, again, I see on social media, and I, I scour social media daily to see what the trends are just so I can make fun of it as a comedian and follow it for podcasts. A lot of it is leaning towards I hit like a girl and it's, you know, the pink boxing glove and, you know, again, the the women trying to show prowess, not in traditional women roles, but more in the crossover roles, whether it's going to the gym. Uh, we're seeing a huge thing with CrossFit um, and women competing in physical activity. Um, I'm seeing it with, you know, MMA now with, with Ronda Rousey getting into it. Is that really where women want to show that they're as empowered as men? Is it a question about trying to, I don't know, it seems like compete on our level or it, or compete by showing, you know what, I could do what a man can do? I, I don't know. I think that might be a little myopic to say that women are doing these things just to be like the men, you know. There's, uh, there are opportunities for women now that have not been present previously. And so now with there being things that are open to women that maybe weren't there or a sociocultural shift where 
um, there is a higher encouragement of women in male-dominated fields or, you know, for women to express themselves physically. And it's not, you know, there was a generation of, of girls that were encouraged to, you know, keep their mouth shut, be polite, be pretty, wear your skirt, and that's it. And so things are changing generationally where we're giving permission to girls to explore, you know, their physical abilities as well as their, you know, emotional and their intellectual abilities. Okay. So now, again, let's take it to your expertise in dealing with couples. Are you noticing, um, again, blurred lines in terms of what the role is in a relationship between men and women in the sense of guys having reaction to women by saying, okay, um, when are you wearing the pants and when are you and I hate to use this expression, and I'm not saying this in a misogynistic way. I'm, I'm doing this for example purposes. So people listening, don't yell at me. And believe me, they will yell at me if she needs to yell at me. When are you wearing the pants? And when do I get to treat you like a woman? Are you seeing that in any of the, re- the relationship problems coming into your office? Well, I think that people know who they've married. And so before they get to me, they have roles that are already set up. Now, things may shift and change in the course of their relationship where they may not, those roles may not fit well anymore. Maybe they were raised in a circumstance where, you know, the father was the breadwinner and the wife stayed at home with the children. And you may think, okay, well, that's my role because I'm the wife now. But then I realized that I want to get an education. I want to provide more for my family. I have talents and I have abilities and I want to be able to use them. And so then that may shift you know, in the marriage. But a lot of times people know who they, who they married. People who are looking for traditional gender roles marry someone else who's looking for traditional gender roles and vice versa. People are more um, open and not looking at gender stereotypes than they kind of find and are, and are, um, are drawn to those who share the same ideals and values. Well, listen, we're, we're in 2015 and you would think that there is this shift. Um, but now let, let's talk truthfully in terms of, you know, what is the the role or the perceived role generationally, as you've said, um, you know, when my fiance Eileen announces it's her class and I'm standing there. You know what? I, I have to admit uh, Vin folds clothes better than I do. There is a react. There's a reaction amongst the women in the room that isn't. What do you mean he folds clothes better? It's more he folds clothes. So, right. So it's it's. I mean, for as much as it's out there for men, it's still out there for women as well. That you know what there are certain traditional roles that you know you embrace that you want to hold on to. Or am I wrong in that approach? No, I think that there are certain things. Like I said, people, um, they find people who are like-minded, generally. And I think that you can hold on to certain standards. You know, I always tell people in session, there are some things that we're raised with that comes from our family of origin that are absolutely in the keep pile, the things that help build our moral character, that help us build our work ethic. There's some really good stuff in there. And there's some other things that we're inoculated with by not only our parents, but grandparents and aunts and uncles and coaches and teachers and, and people at church that send messages. And sometimes they're direct messages, and sometimes they seep in and they're modeled for us. 
And I think that when we get older, we have to be able to look and say, which are the messages that I'm going to take with me into my relationship and into my adulthood? And what are some of the things that I realized, wow, that was somebody else's opinion. They gave it to me. When I was little, I thought it was the truth and I thought it meant everything. But now it doesn't fit me as an adult. I think people need to look and see what fits for them standing on their own two feet in 2015. Okay. Now, I would be absolutely the worst podcaster interviewer ever if I did not take an opportunity with a clinical sexologist and get into the topic of Fifty Shades of Grey. And (laughs) now, all right, just based on your reaction, why the ugh? What I will say about Fifty Shades is that I like the fact that it gave women the ability and the permission, if you will, to explore their sexuality in new ways. And they were able to talk to their friends about sex, and they were feeling more amorous with their partners. So that's a, that's a win. All right. What's but the loss? What's the loss? I, I want to know it. You're, you're burning. I could tell you're burning inside. What is it? But. <laughs> <laughs> so the but is, is that the portrayal of this relationship and the power differential, um, you know, I said it on my Facebook page, and I'll say it again here. If Christian Gray uh, was a middle manager driving a Honda Accord, he would look nothing. He would just look like a, a creepy domestic violence stalker, and no one would have a question about it. Okay, so now let's let's get into this, and and let's. It's not so much about the book as again. This is part of what I was getting into. That is the woman fantasy. Most of the women that I know that read the book and most of the stuff I saw on social media. When they saw the actor playing Christian Grey, it was unbelievable how many women went, no, 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 no. That's not the guy. He looked more like this. And a lot of women wanted Charlie Hunan uh, or Hunan who played the Jax character on Sons of Anarchy. Now, again, here's women saying, no, here's my sexual fantasy. Here's what he looked like. He was, you know, he wasn't this clean cut businessman. He was a little bit dirty, a little bit, you know, he had an edge to him, but yet at the same time was this rich guy. So, you know, again, there's that objectification of men that came through. I mean, what do you say? The I don't know if that's objectification or if, if that's preconceived notions. And here I'm going to give you a little thing about the media, again, saving us because Charlie Hunnam was originally charge for the role and then he had to back out yes so women are saying no it was supposed to be him versus uh, jamie dornan because the media said it was going to be and then so people hung their hats on that but well, i wonder if no one was mentioned that who you know, each individual woman who has a fantasy of who christian was supposed to be to her i think will envision that man you know ten thousand different ways well again but even when you get into you know Take a superhero movie like Batman. Bruce Wayne, um, for as much as he's Batman, is this billionaire bachelor who is very attractive. If he was a billionaire, you know, bachelor who was maybe bald, <laughs> maybe maybe rather than running around dressing up as Batman at night, was running around to comedy clubs at night. No, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, the, the visual for the men seems to always involve money as part of power. 
So for as much as it's with women, it's physical appearance. Isn't there this thing that's associated with men that, that the thing that seems to make a man better looking, if it's not his muscles as a fireman in a fireman, you know, a calendar, it's money. But I don't know. Is that just, is that again, is that the, the social narrative that we say, like, what's important to women is to marry up and to be a trophy wife? Is that something that's sold to us, you know, through advertisers and marketing and all of that? Or is that something that is, is the truth? Because I know plenty of people that just want someone who that they're attracted to, who they're going to have a nice life with, that it doesn't necessarily... You know, they don't they don't just say, oh, well, if they don't have this, then I'm not going to be interested. All right. So now in, in terms of again, and this is where we're I'm kind of calling this battle of the sexes. When you see relationships fall apart between men and women and, and you're trying to, you know, figure out what's happening. What is the number one reason that comes across your desk? So why people are relationships are falling apart? Yes. Uh, oh my gosh, there are so many different reasons, but the top two reasons for divorce in our country right now are money and sex, So, and both of those have a correlation of that it's difficult to talk about. There are, it's taboo in our culture, you don't talk about money, you don't talk about budgets, you don't talk about what somebody spends on something, so that is a you know generational family of origin kind of thing that we get stuck with that people are really uncomfortable talking about. And then the sexual piece of it is that, you know, people don't know how to ask to get their needs met. A lot of people have, you know, concerns and and negative message about sex and sexuality and their histories. And it becomes something that they don't, you know, feel confident and have that working vocabulary to be able to discuss. But one of the greatest reasons for the sexual disconnect is when people aren't getting along and... You know, if you're not getting along and if there is that unresolved resentment or that anger towards one another, you hardly want to hop in the sack. Well, I'm going to tell you from my perspective, and, and maybe I'm different this way, I have always taken the perspective, or at least in every relationship I've been in, if you can't stimulate me intellectually, I don't care what you look like. You could, you could be drop-dead gorgeous. If you have nothing to say to me, it's not going to work. Um, there has to be something more than the physical because listen, we're all getting older and as much as people can hold on to things, you know, going to gyms, getting plastic surgery in the end, you you break down. It's it's part of the human process. We are breaking down. Um, I mean, what can couples do to keep that mental stimulation? Because after a while, I mean, do people run out of things to say to each other? I think, Sometimes they can, but I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about, and maybe I'm partial because I'm a sex therapist, is that I encourage people to always, always stay physically connected with one another because you can be as intellectually stimulated, you can share common interests, but you also have that with your parents, your brothers, sisters, your neighbors, your friends. That sexual connection and that physical intimacy is the one thing that keeps you separate from everybody else and it's the one thing that keeps you from being super awesome roommates well yeah that wow that's a great line the thing that keeps you from being super awesome roommates boy that's a facebook post that should be on like one of those memes (laughs) all right (laughs) 
because we share so many things. And when I see couples in my office, it, it's very hopeful when I ask them about their, if they're having sexual issues, and I ask them how was it in the beginning when they were newly in love and couldn't keep their hands off each other. And if they've had that at one time, they can get that back. There's a lot of things to, you know, strategies and, and things to talk about and communicate to get back there. But it's, it's more difficult when a couple says, you know, that wasn't what our relationship was about. We were really good friends and, you know, we always had lots in common and, you know, we just really like each other. That's a, that's a more difficult piece of it that when, you know, the, then what happens when the friendship starts to break apart? Then, you know, you don't have a lot left. And and in terms of keeping that friendship fresh, um, it seems that uh, people seem to get into the daily habit and daily routine and whether it's revolved around the kids and then the kids are gone. And I mean, what's your recommendation to, to couples out there in terms of, you know, again, if you have your go to how to keep it fresh, how do you do it? Sure. Um, I, first of all, you have to you got to keep it sexy. So I tell people I don't care how tired you are. I don't care what's on Netflix, but you got to put doing it on the to-do list. You have to make a priority. You have to make intimacy a priority. And I always say it's like trying to get together with a friend for lunch. You know, it feels like you know, you're trying to you're sending emails back and forth. You're making all the plans. Then the one person cancels, and it becomes a big deal. And then you're like, oh, I don't even want to do this anymore. But then once you get there and you sit and you have that fun together, you realize, oh, my gosh, why don't we do this more often? So sex begets sex. So sometimes, unless, unless there is severe conflict or if there's some sort of abusive situation going on, I encourage people to just get back in, to recognize their connection with one another and make intimacy a priority for sure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think the easiest way to do that is let the other person know, hey, um, how about some more of this? <laughs> I think one of the things that, that makes people break down um, with their intimacy is ineffective sex. So if you're doing the same things over and over, if you don't realize that you're becoming stale or bored, then you just kind of don't want to do it as much. Well, let me tell you, I, I deal with part of my legal practice in, in my you know non-comic life is being a divorce attorney. And I deal with it from, I guess, the, the point that you can't fix it anymore. So I guess after they've seen you and, you know, unfortunately, the times that you strike out, they then come to me. And one of the things that I noticed that when they come to me and things have broken down there seems to be a lot of finger pointing, and that's why I wanted to talk about this because, you know, the things that I've seen come up is, again, this blurred line of, you know, the guy not knowing when his wife was wearing the pants and, and being, quote-unquote, bossy. Um, all of a sudden, you know, the the wife is starting to get into the more guy things, you know, women taking up golf and, well, listen, now I I golf too. You know, can I tag along with you guys? Again, I think it's important, and and just to bring it back around, to let boys be boys at times and let girls be girls, and sometimes you have to keep those things separate. Am I I off base with that? Say again? Who defines that? Who says what it means to be a boy or what it means to be a girl? That's 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 your stuff, and you're going to (laughs) project that into your relationship. Okay, but... So what you're saying is there's, for example, here, I'll use it. I see it all the time on social media. Girls night out. Okay. 
So why is there this new thing with Girls' Night Out? It seems that Girls' Night Out is there to counteract or balance off the guys going golfing. Who's what? For example. It's interesting because you're kind of qualifying that. Like, because it's so odd that the little women should be in their aprons in the kitchen, you know, while men are expected to have their poker nights or go golfing or, you know, watch their football games and stick their hands down their pants. I think that's really um, rigid. Okay, well, then let me ask you this. For example, um, if you have your partner here, I'm going to, you know what? Let me make it specific to my situation. I am more of, (laughs) oh, no, don't worry. She's not here listening to this. She would be strangling me at this point. Um, Let's take it to this extreme where I I am much more of a sports fan than she is. Um, I, I get into, you know, my games, my teams when they're in the playoffs. So, for example, you know, I like the Montreal Canadiens and hockey, and when the Canadians are in town, maybe I want to go to the Canadians game. Do I drag along Eileen, who is just going to be there for the sake of company, or do I say, listen, you know what, this isn't really your thing. This is more my thing. I'd rather go with one of my buddies who's a Canadian fan, and we're going to you know, be more into it than you. And she's, no, 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 but I want to go. Then at that point, you know, hey, listen, the thrill isn't there for me as much because I know she's coming just to be part of the event. Whereas, you know what, hey, listen, just let the guys be the guys and, you know, go do whatever it is that you want to do. Now, it doesn't have to be a girly thing, you know, quote unquote girly thing. I mean, should we have that space to to be us away from the other person? Well, I think that's the question. That's the question I like. I like, can I have, can I subsist and can we exist as a couple when I still have different interests from they do? Or do we have to morph into this, you know, one human being who loves everything and does everything all the time together all the time? Right. And this is where I want to kind of bring this all together. Again, I I think the lines are getting blurred where we're kind of overlapping so much that, you know what, listen, when, when I, I used to go to the gym, it was fun when you weren't there. Now you're joining me with everything. Much like a woman could say, oh, my God, now you're getting, you know, Manny petties. What's going on with that? You know, or, you know, should we should we be blurring the lines all the time or, or should we have again that that thing that keeps us different, makes us different to just so we have separate time? Uh, you know, I wonder if you say things like that when if it's relational and you're trying to do things that I did before, I'm trying to do things that you're trying to do. Is that someone just trying to connect with the other person on a different level? That maybe they aren't communicating or maybe they aren't um, as connected as they once were. And you think, Oh, it'll be a great idea if I want to come to, if I'll tell them I want to come to the hockey game with them, you know, or just trying something to, to initiate a little bit more of a connection rather than it being, you know, a, a, you know, a gender barrier thing. Let me tell you something. You are such a psychotherapist and had a such psychotherapy babble. <laughs> no, I love the. No, because you know what? You're playing doctor and I'm playing lawyer. And this is what happens when exactly. opposite. Yeah, this is what happens when this is the universe colliding. This is how the Bing bang started. Now I know it wasn't an atom splitting. It was a doctor and a lawyer having a conversation. 
Well, listen, I want I want you to stay on the phone because I'm going to thank you. I want to talk to you. Um, I want to wrap up the podcast again. I can't believe this was 50 minutes that flew by so quickly. I want to give an especial thanks to uh, Day Sheridan, clinical sexologist, psychotherapist. Give me a plug, a website where people can find you because you are absolutely amazing. And let me tell you, for anybody listening, I speak today. She has helped me through stuff that there's no one better, no one I would rather call. So please give yourself a plug. Oh, thanks, Vince. I really appreciate it. Well, if you are interested in anything else I have to say, my website is www.drday.com, and that's D-R-D-A-E.com. And I'm on Facebook at Dr. Day, D-R-D-A-E. Follow me on Twitter at Ask Dr. Day. All right. You are the best. And for everyone, I hope you really enjoyed this podcast Uh, This was a topic I was dying to tackle. I'm really excited about having Dr. Day on. Um, You guys should be all over this. I want to see all kinds of messages. I want to see everyone jump on on this one. Um, Are we blurring the lines? Are women delving too much into men's stuff? Are men starting to cross over too much into women's stuff by getting manicures and pedicures? Or are we kind of, I don't know, meeting too far in the middle? Should we keep to our side of the aisle a little bit more? I love this stuff. Uh, Hope you did too. Vince August Podcast. Everyone keep listening. Spread the word. Thanks for joining me.